You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Good morning, everybody. Can we begin with a word of prayer? And then I'll give us some housekeeping notes, and then we'll jump right into the catechism. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death and resurrection. Lord, we pray, would you mark us as a community shaped by the resurrection? Would you truly make us a church named Resurrection, Lord? We pray that as we spend time uh, studying your word and studying theology and history, that you would not just fill our minds, but you would deepen our love of you, God, and help us to learn how to follow you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, in power. Guide us and lead us as we learn, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we're starting our second section of the catechism. If you don't have a catechism, there's a copy on tables, kind of spread out. You can grab a copy. You're going to need this even today and as we continue. Um, I want to, if this is your first time and you're jumping into the catechism class, uh, let me give us a few kind of housekeeping pointers. First of all, um, this is being recorded and Uh, so this will be available for us on our podcast. If you need to go back and reference something that is being said or taught, um, it will be available to you. Also, can you make sure that you bring your Bibles to this? Because in the catechism, like you'll see, there's a Q&A format, but there's also biblical references that we want to be able to like underline, dig up, read through together and figure out. Uh, The catechism is really a curriculum that's a window into scripture. So let's have, please bring your Bibles um, from home. Um, The Bible that we typically read on Sunday morning is the NRSV, but if you have like an NIV or a CEB or whatever, just bring what you have. Um, We also have a stack of um, NRSVs in the cabinet that we can put on tables for you this morning too, but just a note to bring your Bible. Bring your catechism as well. So this book that we handed out, um, please bring that with you as well. This catechism is also available on like Word document, PDF format. So if you're like me and you want to like see it a little bit bigger print, make some notes, make a binder out of this thing, you totally can do that. Um, I can provide the link for you. It's on our um, province's website and I can find it for you. And I also recommend, bring some sort of notebook or piece of paper or pen, something like that to make notes so that we can, um, we can capture some of the learning that we have together. Especially questions, as we go along, there's questions that come up. Please write those down because we'll have some time to, to field questions. All right, and one, one more thing. We're also putting together, this is like a, our first time in this section, and we're, so we're a little bit behind the, the eight ball on this, but if you are interested in, for these sessions, helping us set up these tables and chairs, if you guys, if we can, as a class, in fact, when it's time, just kind of all pitch in to make this happen, that would be really helpful for me so we can get going and starting on time. And um, yeah. I think that's it. Is there any other questions that anybody has before we get started? Any like housekeeping or real practical questions? Okay. They come up, hold on to them, you can ask me. So the format of this class, the way we like to teach it and walk through this is the whole thing is Q&A. So I'm gonna read a question in the catechism and then if you're, and you should be tracking along with us, we'll all read the answer together. And it's super important that we actually say and read the answer together because it's part of our, not just memorization, but kind of our like internalizing 
of the things that we're learning. So it's really powerful when you say something out loud, even with other people, it starts to get ingrained into your own mind, like you begin to truly learn it. For instance, so many of us come to Res and we've never uh, memorized the Nicene Creed, but Sunday after Sunday after Sunday of saying it together, all of a sudden you could close your prayer book, you might be able to say it by yourself. So that's kind of the idea here with the catechism. I'm gonna read a question for us. Anytime I read the question, I'll signal that to you and we will all read the answer together so that we can internalize that together and, and, uh, and learn it. All right, so this second section of the catechism is super fascinating. This is, I'm probably gonna be just excited about the next section, but this, this section is really, really interesting. Believing in Christ. And the, the three big pieces of this are the creeds, the Nicene Apostles, Athanasian Creed, the Holy Scriptures with questions like, where did it come from? How do we interpret this thing? Like, what, what do we do with Holy Scripture? How is it authoritative? How is it God-breathed, for instance? What is it for? What do we do with this? Um, and then the sacraments. What is it that the Lord gave us, these sacraments of the gospel in baptism and Eucharist? And are there other sacraments? And how does that work? And who gets to say, by the way, if any of these are authoritative and meaningful to us, if they get to like influence the decisions we make and the things we believe in, how are they authoritative and how do they work in our life? So this is the scope of the next six weeks that we're gonna be covering. And that's why I say, I think it's actually really fascinating because it's something that most of the time we take for granted as Christians. How do we know what it means to be a Christian? is a question that we're gonna be getting at in this course. So um, I wanna recommend a couple books to you that I think are, are I mean, they're pretty helpful. J.I. Packer, have anybody heard of J.I. Packer? Pretty famous Christian author, theologian, pastor. He wrote this really simple, very, very brief um, book on the Apostles' Creed, which we're gonna be going over, and this is called Affirming the Apostles' Creed. What I love about J.I. Packer's approach to this and really everything that he does is it's so, so, so pastoral. It's really practical, it's down to earth, um, and it's very, very helpful. So he writes sections, uh, for instance, on um, what does is, what is the statement, I believe in God, mean? You wouldn't think like you can write multiple pages on that. This guy could write an entire book on just the statement. There's so much there. Um, so I, I'd recommend J.I. Packer's Affirming the Apostles' Creed. And also, um, I want to recommend this book, and uh, it's by Samuel Wells, What Anglicans Believe. And I was thinking about that this morning. This, this may seem like, this is a strange book to recommend in this section. It's actually not. Because what this goes over is all of, all the topics that we go over in the catechism, uh, Sam Wells goes over. And especially uh, the, the sections on scripture and the creeds and the sacraments he goes over. And he gives us a really good um, kind of historical backdrop and some overview and some um, like light details about how this all works. Um, and what you'll notice, what's really striking, what I want to recommend this book for, and especially for this catechism, is that you will read through this and go, is this, this doesn't feel like Anglican stuff. This just feels like Christianity. And you'll often find with Anglican authors that kind of posture toward theology. And the reason is because inherent to Anglicanism is this claim that we want nothing other than just plain old, like, apostolic Christianity. If we're teaching something that the apostles and the scripture is not teaching, we won't teach it. If we're not teaching something that the apostles and the scriptures are teaching, then we will teach it. And so you'll find Samuel's approach is very similar. It's just merely Christian, as C.S. Lewis would say. And I think it's really, really helpful. Samuel Wells, 
what Anglicans believe, an introduction. It's very, very good. Um, all right. So you got your Bibles, we've got our catechism, we've got our notes, we have our coffee and our pizza, we're set. Here's what I want to do. I want to give us just a quick um, overview of um, this section, and then we're going to jump straight into the questions, okay? So just give me a few minutes, I want to set this up for us. For Anglicans, and you can find this, by the way, in the beginning of this section, there's an introduction, you can review all this, what I'm about to say, but I want to, I want to point to some of this stuff. For Anglicans... As for all genuine Christians, authentic Christianity, think about this statement. This is a pretty big statement. For Anglicans, as well as all Christians, authentic Christianity, the real Christianity, the genuine article, is apostolic. This is a huge claim, right? Genuine Christianity is apostolic. What do we mean by that? Apostolic Christianity, it rests on the historic eyewitnesses of the testimony of Jesus' followers. His disciples, those who were with him, like we talked about today, those eyewitnesses, his apostles. The facts of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, we get those through those who witnessed these events and have told the story. Those are the early Christians and those that Jesus personally said, you are my disciples, those he, in some ways, ordained as his apostles, those are the ones that we appeal to to say, to tell us what is Christianity? What does it mean? Like, who is Jesus? Who is God? We appeal to them. So when we appeal to this early community of Christians, these 12 disciples, the apostles of Christ, this is an appeal to apostolic Christianity. That's what we mean by that. Apostolic compared to what? Well, there are like 40-something thousand uh, Protestant denominations. There's a Roman Catholic Church. There's the Eastern Orthodox Church. There are all kinds of different versions or kind of even nuances about Christianity. How do we know? Like, how do we know that we're not in some cult or like we're, way, we're like way off base? How do we know what's authentic Christianity? Well, if, and, and the vast majority of Christians on the planet today and throughout history would agree with this claim that if you want to know what authentic Christianity is, it's apostolic Christianity. We appeal to the apostles. So Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, they got this in spades. Like they're way into this. Um, Protestants, um, it's still very, very, very important actually. Um, for some of us who are maybe hearing this for the first time, it's not because those traditions that we've come from, this isn't important. This is actually so, so fundamental that it can sometimes be something that's just overlooked um, and not talked about. But, but this is like fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, that it's apostolic. Okay. Now, how is it that this is authoritative? So yes, it's connected to history, but that doesn't necessarily mean something is true, right? Just because it's old. How is it authoritative and meaningful in our life today? Well, for Christians, we have this apostolic faith. Like I said, it's connected with the apostles, but we also have scripture that is revealing to us what it means to be a Christian. So Anglicans is Anglicans, and every time I say as Anglicans, what we're, I want you to hear is as merely Christians, because if Anglicans are doing it right, we're Christians, and Anglicanism kind of just kind of fades off. It's like not the point. Anglicanism when it's best is not the point. Jesus is the point. 
Being merely Christian is the point. So Anglicans affirm that the Bible, that's the Old and the New Testament together, is God's word written for us. His revelation written for us. And for Anglicans, if you look in your prayer books, I believe it's in the Catechism too, there's these articles, it's called the Articles of Religion that Anglicanism um, has kind of written down and said, here are our commitments doctrinally of what we believe. Um, One of those articles is a claim that God's word written in the Old and New Testament is an authoritative revelation to us. It is a means authoritatively that God reveals who he is to us. Um, Here's an interesting fact, um, because I think, when I read this, I'm like, oh yeah, and that's really interesting. Did you know that for, okay, well, let me just hold this up so y'all know what I'm talking about. So many of us, we come from traditions where the Bible is, is like the, is everything, right? The Bible is the authority. If it's not in the Bible, you're a heretic. And if you have problems in your life, you need to read your Bible. Kind of like the Bible is everything and sometimes over the top everything. I think it's actually, and and the Bible is holy scripture to us. So it's very sacred indeed. But if we don't put the Bible in its historic context, I think we can actually make an idol of it. Did you hear that? I know I'm like in scary territory here. We can, we can make an idol out of scripture. It is holy, it is sacred, and yes, you should read this for sure. But if it's not in its proper context, this can actually be really misunderstood and twisted um, and used and misappropriated in many ways. So I wanna put this in some context. How is the Bible authoritative? Did you know that, so second century, we're talking like 100s AD, okay? We have, bef- and, and the, the, the letters that are now in the Bible were being written and circulated, some of them in the New Testament, most of them. But even before this was canonized, here's the Bible, for instance. Before that happened, we had the Apostles' Creed. So the creed was actually for early Christians, the authoritative statement of faith, what it means to be a Christian. Christians, they could go to, uh, you know, the Hebrew scriptures, they could, they could hear these letters that were written to their communities, but they didn't have all of them. They may not have had like Romans, for instance, or Revelation or, you know, First Peter. If you were a Christian in the first couple hundred years of the church's life, you had the Apostles' Creed. That was your definitive, authoritative definition of what it meant to be a Christian. And this came out of uh, a liturgical setting. It came out of baptism. They would say, do you believe in God? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And the the person who was being baptized would say, yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. Yes, I believe. Just like we do at our baptisms. Remember that? You know that? The baptismal covenant where we turn and say, church, do you believe? And everyone says, we believe. And and you go on with the Apostles' Creed. This was a baptismal creed. And if you said yes three times, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to this whole statement of faith, you're saying, I want to be, I'm a Christian, baptize me. That's the setting of this, which came, I think this is fascinating, before the Bible in its form that we have it today was even complete. We had the Apostles' Creed. The key facts of the faith were organized into this syllabus, really, of the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. And this was written down, but it was really oral. It was spoken, it was shared, and it, was, and it occurred within, mostly within the worship setting. This is a baptismal statement of faith. 
I think that's actually really interesting because I think a lot of us have, if not a lot of us, some people have a, a view of scripture like the, um, like Islam has this view of, of their scriptures kind of descending from heaven in its form in Arabic and you can't read it in any other form and get the, the same thing out of it, you know? The Quran, descending from, that's actually not how the Bible's come to us. This thing has come through the super messy and fascinating history in the hands of human beings. Translated, copied, sentences cut off, like repaired sentences. It's fa- there's, a, and there's an entire study of how this, these manuscripts were assembled into what we now have as the reliable source of God's word written in Revelation to us in scripture. That's fascinating, isn't it? And so when we start to look at church history and you see that these were actually letters between churches dealing with certain contexts, pastoral situations that we needed, this is like way more complex than just this book floating down from the clouds. And so you can see why I'm trying to make a point here for us. If we don't place this in its right context, this can, this can be, uh, we can totally misunderstand how to read and understand and interpret scripture. This book belongs to the church because the church wrote it to each other. And so we go to the church and say, so what does it mean? And if we have an issue about what this says, who do we go to? Our closet, and we pray, and we come out and go, and you know what this means? I'll tell you what this means. Um, you, can, you should do that. You should try and like discern what God's word's saying. But if you come out of your prayer closet with a really screwed up uh, interpretation of scripture, the church um, will correct you, and you should submit to that correction. There have been people who have resisted that, and now we have like cults. <laughs> okay, like there's plenty of people who have tried this, um, but this people lose sight of the fact that this book belongs to the church and the church helps us to interpret it. Any questions? Because I know I saw some hesitant hands here. Stephen. So in its final form was um, like, I'm gonna say fourth century, it was like finalized. But by the second century, we have um, the, like the most definitive shape. Like, Basically, before it was like canonized by the church, um, it was, it's called the, sorry, let me back up. It's called the Apostles' Creed, not because the apostles wrote it, but because the church agreed that this, yes, these are the essentials that we get from the apostles about what it means to be a Christian, and that, the, the, the majority of that shape was settled by the second century. Um, canon, canon of scripture wasn't actually um, settled until like way much, much later. In fact, in the Reformation, there, up into the Reformation, the shape of canon was still being um, like decided and figured out and sorted through. Does that help? Okay. Um, Nathan. It started 325, finalized 381. But the Apostles' Creed, to to your point about baptism, um, it's in this definite shape early on in the worshiping life of the church It's because it's a baptismal call and response. It's like an examination. So what we have in the Apostles' Creed is mostly in its full shape the way we have it by the second century. Is that that helping? Yeah, I think so. Is that your question? 
Oh, in the, or like the early church immediately? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't like in the second century, they're like, you know what? Let's say we believe in God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And let's say it this way. No, I'm saying by as early as the second century, the majority of the Apostles' Creed has, has been settled in terms of like a standard throughout Christian churches everywhere. This is what we do when people are baptized. Um, but yes, even to the, to the time of the apostles and um, those like early converts of the faith, yes, there's an examination that's going on that's very, very, in a much more simplified sense, do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? You know? And even when you read Acts, you can see um, that this is the story that the church is telling. This is the story that people are being converted to. This is the, this is the news. Does that help? Yeah. But it wasn't like, um, what I'm trying to say is it wasn't um, in the form that we have it today, uh, you would have to fast forward like maybe to the second century. So like 100, really like 70 plus years after the life of Christ to find it in, in more of a recognizable form that we have today. In terms of all of its petitions, all the things that it's saying. Okay, any other questions about that? Yeah, Bev. Just in general about scripture, how about the additional books? The Apocrypha. Right. Yeah. So, so the Apocrypha is not, um, it doesn't determine doctrine for us, but they are early church writings that are helpful for us to see in terms of like historic context. They're helpful for us to learn from. Um, they're even helpful for us as Christians to show us like good examples and models, the way we appeal to scripture in that way, but, it, but they don't determine doctrine. And um, it wasn't until, so the, and the Apocrypha is, is only books of the Old Testament that were, that, that Jews, and you can correct me on Nathan because Nathan's like a Jewish scholar here, that Jew, they were translated in Greek, um, but did not exist in like the Jewish like uh, Torah and the Jewish, like the Hebrew Bible, but were prevalent in much of the early church um, up until the Reformation. There's like, I forget how, exactly how many of them there are, like 11 or 14 or something. Um, and it wasn't until the Reformation actually that these books, these apocryphal readings, which, are, which I think means like hidden word or something like that, like not um, like the rest of canon that we have, that these books, these apocryphal books were decided like these are not, um, authoritative in shaping doctrine, but they are edifying for the Christian life. So for instance, I have a Bible at home. It's a study Bible. It has all these apocryphal readings. There's even apocrypha readings in our lectionary calendar that we can read um, that honestly I just don't because I don't want to freak out a whole bunch of like Texas Baptists <laughs> who are coming to check out our church because that would be like, what? You know, these are heretics. Um, but it's just, the church's history and scripture is just, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually fascinating. Um, but it's, it's, it's more complex than just, again, a book floating out of the clouds to us in English. Yeah. Close enough, right? That, yeah. I mean, even, yeah, I would believe that. And Wikipedia said it, so. Pam. Like the doctrine, the, sh uh, the shape of the church, yep. But they are useful for edification, et cetera, like you've been saying. Yeah. That's when the Protestant canon was essentially formed. Um, yeah, as we have it today. The, the other 
So if you ever go to, that's a great point. If you ever go to a Roman Catholic church or an Orthodox church and there are like, wait, two second Maccabees, what's, you know, uh, these are the apocryphal readings. So don't be alarmed. There's just like a really complex and beautiful history of scripture that the church has. And Protestants by and large have, um, you know, rid themselves of the apocrypha in most of the publications of the Holy Bible. Mm. It doesn't say mm. it that way. Interesting. But Isn't that interesting? So it's, it, it should be considered like interesting, at least for us, because this was in, uh, the, in the imagination of the early church. Like these readings were readily available to them. All right, so let me back up real quick. Ca- the first task of catechesis, why are we going through all this trouble, is to gather and focus the central truths of the apostolic faith as the scriptures present them. So our task here is to not chase down every rabbit hole and tell you every nuance and every like obscure little detail about Christianity. Our, our first and primary task is to gather up the essentials of the apostolic faith as scripture presents them to us. And so that's why I invite you, have your Bibles with us as we go through this together. What we, and, and what the creeds do for us, and if you're wondering like, why are the creeds authoritative? Because the creeds are the early churches, um, is more than an attempt, it's their definitive action to gather up and focus the essentials of the Christian faith. So for instance, I've had conversations with people and say, I'm a Christian, but I have this one problem with this one line in the Apostles' Creed where it says like Jesus descended to the dead. I don't know about that. And I, it was a, a friend of mine and I was like, that's interesting that you have an objection to that. You should probably study it. But if you deny that, you're like by definition, not a Christian. <laughs> like that's what the creeds do for us. They help us to determine. And he's like, whoa, okay, I, you know, I need to look into this. But um, if we want to know, like, what does it mean to be a Christian? We look to the creeds. The creeds in the early church, the Apostles' Creed, and even in 325, the Council of Nicaea, finalized in 381, we have the Nicene Creed, which is this more uh, detailed description of the Christian faith. And have you ever, you know, when we say the Nicene Creed, it's like light from light, true God from true God. What does all this mean? All of these phrases were actually um, putting to rest controversies about the doctrine of the church. It was actually like the church, this is gonna be a surprise to some of you, had problems, okay? And there were, there were like heretics running around. There were people saying that Jesus was only man and, or Jesus was only God and he swapped himself out and had somebody else die in his place or he, you know, there are all kinds of crazy, um, uh, uh, you know, ideas about what Christians believe, who Jesus was, who God is. And so the creed actually line by line says, wrong, 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 wrong. Here's what we believe. So the Nicene Creed, the reason you have this like more in-depth shape is because it's actually like fighting incorrect belief about not just what we get to decide, but it's putting away incorrect belief that is distorting um, the apostolic faith that the church has received. So they're not just saying, we don't like these people, let's put a line in the creed to put them down. They're saying, what did the apostles say? What's the apostolic faith? What's the truth of the gospel? And how do we preserve and safeguard and declare that? against these heresies in our day. This is the shape of the Nicene Creed. Okay. Creed, Bible, ton of councils. If you want to know, if everyone, uh, there, there's seven ecumenical councils in which the church gathered 
in its, entirely, in its entirety undivided, if you can imagine that, and decided on doctrine as Christians, we all look to these seven ecumenical councils and they tell us, the church gathered, here's what Christians believe, here's what we uphold as truth. Okay, let's move on. Question 19, can you guys open your catechism? Here we are, with 15 minutes left. We got this, let's do like a question a minute. We can do this, right? Speed lesson. All right, everybody on uh, question 19. I believe concerning the creeds. Let's read this together. What is a creed? A creed is a statement of faith. The word creed comes from Latin credo, which means I believe. So Anselm of Canterbury, he says, I believe so that I may understand. This is super interesting. I believe so that I may understand. One of his other famous quotes was faith seeking understanding. I totally don't, I don't totally get it, but I believe I have faith that I might understand it even more. Um, it's very similar to Augustine of Hippo who says, St. Augustine says, believe so that you may understand. We must believe in something in order to know anything about God is the point here. So when we stand in the creed and say, I believe, and there's like any sliver of doubt, like I'm not totally sure how this works, that's totally okay. And that's actually, for clear-headed modern folks, this is, this is like actually the way all understanding works. Think about this. If you want to be a doctor, you at some point have to put faith in the medical community to teach you what is true medicine. Faith, belief always precedes understanding. You want to know that the earth is round? Well, there's a bunch of people on Facebook who thinks it's flat, but my mom and dad told me that it's round. You're, you're like, you're putting your faith in something or someone, right? And this is a good thing. So it's not like when people would come to us and say, well, you're just like blindly believing things because you're Christians. You say, I believe. No, you're doing the same thing. Everybody does this. We believe, we put our trust in a community, in, in our faith in God that we may understand him further. And by the way, that's just like the way that the mystery of God works. There's nothing you can do to like weasel your way into a deeper understanding of God on your own. He does, it, he just not set up reality that way. You have to put your trust in him if you want to understand more of him. Why? Because you can't actually force your way into an understanding of God. He's the one who pulls you into an understanding of himself. It's all on his terms. So we believe and are drawn into understanding who he is. Question 20, what is the purpose of the creeds? Together, the purpose of the creeds is to declare and safeguard God's truth about himself ourselves and creation as God has revealed it in Holy Scripture. Declare and safeguard. Church, I wanna give you permission. We can actually declare the truth of who God is, and we should. And I know these days it's like not PC to declare things, or maybe everyone's declaring things and they have no authority to declare things, you know, on social media. The church has been declaring the truth about who God is from the beginning, and we should continue to do that. That's like what it means to be a participant of the church. We should declare these things. And we should also not feel bad about safeguarding these truths of the gospel, who God is. Now, we don't have to be jerks about it, no. But I just want to make a note here that I think it's really interesting that as, as a member of the church, we've been given this great inheritance of this revelation of who Jesus is, and we can announce who he is without being apologetic about it. So this, here, here's who Jesus is. 
And for people who contend against Jesus or have a, an argument with them or have like some, like I have a different view, that's okay. But we can, in a very non-anxious, non-threatened way as Christians say, well, let's ask the church. And the church actually has the authority, this apostolic faith, to declare and safeguard, to settle all of those questions. Now, does that mean that that puts all of our doubts to bed, that puts all the arguments to bed? No, but we have to at some point recognize there is an authority here that's declaring and safeguarding the truth of the gospel that we have all received. And because we've received it from the, from the church, we're now Christians. The reason we're Christian is because someone declared and safeguarded this truth of the gospel, the truth about God. And this truth is not only about God, but it's also about who we are. So friends, if you want to know who you are, don't like look deep in your heart, you know, and search your emotions or something. That's probably good and healthy, right? To some extent. But it's also been really overdone and abused. Um, if you want to know who you are, look to God. Because he created you and he will tell you who you are. He will declare to you and he will safeguard your identity as his child. First and foremost, you're a child of God. So we learn about God himself, we learn about ourselves, and we learn about creation. What is all of this for? Who do we turn to to ask what all of creation is for? We look to the one who's created it and ask, Lord, what is all this for? So in the creeds, we have the revelation of, uh, the, we have the declaration and the obligation to safeguard this declaration, the truth about who God is, who we are, and all of creation. Question 21. Do you have a question, John? The faith. So right then, you know, I don't know exactly when Jude was written, right? Around 60 AD or something. Probably around then, yeah. Yeah. It's already a common faith, a common salvation, he says, you know, shared salvation. Earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered. Yeah, wow, that's great, John. Thank you for mentioning that. Did y'all hear that? The faith that was the faith, first of all a singular faith that was delivered to us, the church. Yeah, that's really good. All right, question 21. What does belief in the creeds signify? Together, belief in the creeds signifies acceptance of God's revealed truth and the intention to live by it. 2 Timothy 3.14 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Wow. There, again, the, sac the sacred writings. Even in our readings in Acts today, um, they... they um, shared in the breaking of bread, and do you notice this, and the prayers? What prayers? These are like, the, yeah, the Psalms. These were the prayers that the church were reciting. To, they had prayers, right? This fat, the faith, the prayers. There's all these kind of in-passing um, glances at things that indicate to us what this apostolic faith looked like in the early church. Um, and they're not just guesses, um, but we have like definitive answers to these things. This belief these prayers, the Holy Scriptures. 
All right, question 22. Which creeds does the church acknowledge? The church acknowledges the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. Um, I mentioned the Apostles and Nicene Creed. The Athanasian Creed is the one you all complain about um, on Holy Trinity Sunday. That's like, literally I get emails like, what in the world was that? Or how long is this creed? It's forever long. Um, This is the Marathon Creed. And it is a definitive like voice in what is it Christians believe. Is, why is this so important? Um, so the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? We all believe this as Christians. Where did we get this from? You can't go in the Bible and find the word Trinity and go, oh, see, it's right there. So where do we get it from? Are you heretics finding things outside of the Bible? No, <laughs> this is the apostolic faith that's been given to us in things like the creeds even, this distillation, this processing of this revelation in scripture that's given to us and made sense of. Is, is Jesus uh, like separate from the being of God? Was he made? Um, who's the Holy Spirit? How does that work? The mystery of the Holy Trinity um, was, was up for a lot of debate. And the Athanasian Creed is this really, 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 really like almost legal document sized um, settlement over, no, no, this is what the apostles believed about who God is. And so it's, it's super long, I know, but it's actually really helpful for us to remember there are faithful brothers and sisters throughout history who have helped um, put to bed all of the uh, like challenges to the core of the Christian faith that we can now celebrate and announce and have and share with one another. So next time on Holy Trinity Sunday, you guys complain. Keep that in mind, okay? It's good. Question 23, why do you acknowledge these creeds? I acknowledge these creeds with the church because they are grounded in Holy Scripture and are faithful expressions of its teaching. Man, how much time do we have? Not much. Okay. Can I, I'm just going to pick one then. Philippians 2. Um, Acknowledging these creeds because they're grounded in Holy Scripture, faithful expressions of its teaching. Listen to this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The creeds, they take these amazing, these, seriously, this news is life-saving for you. The creeds take this news in scripture and they, they package it in such a way that we can be without a doubt, here are the essentials of what it means to be a Christian. Here's the essentials of this good news of what God has done to come and rescue us. Taking scripture like this, so we're not like all memorizing all these passages in scripture to say what Christians believe. We should, and that's fine. Um, but we actually have a creed that we can go to all together and say, I believe in God and tell the entire story, Father, Son, of Holy Spirit of what it is that Christians believe and how God has come to save us. Okay, there's another one there you should go read, 1 Corinthians 15, 3. It's like kind of a, um, a, a whole tour of the gospel story. You should go and read that. And a, a key part of that is that uh, Paul is even writing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for I handed on to you as of first importance that I, in turn, had received, that which I, in turn, had received. So he's even acknowledging there's this handing off of the faith that we get from 
the early church, Paul's even recognizing, I'm receiving this news. The creeds help us in, in a way that nothing gets lost, right? Receive this news of the gospel in such a way that when we internalize it and learn it and memorize it, we can hand it on to our kids. We can hand it on to those who come. If all Christians stopped handing on the faith, the faith would like cease to be. God wouldn't let that happen. But think about this. We've got to learn this thing that's been handed to us. We're the alive generation right now. We've got to hand this on. So it's so important. And we have the creeds to do that. Um, Question 25. Speaking of creeds, let's walk through this together. What is the Apostles' Creed? The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Can, I'm not going to answer these questions now, but can anyone uh, raise their hand and say, this is an interesting statement in the creed. Anything pop out to you that you're like, I need to talk about this a little bit more. Anything pop out? Descended to the dead. Descended to the dead. Interesting, right? All right, let's not go there yet, but I'm just saying, point it out. Anybody else? There's so much, and we'll get to these. That's why I want to point it out, Emily. Baptism's not mentioned. Ooh, interesting. It's like, it's the context in which this is being stated. But you're right. It's not explicitly mentioned. I'm sorry? What is that? Communion of saints. Yeah, I love that. Interesting. Yes. Catholic. The word Catholic. Come on, people. That's interesting. Pam? Oh, interesting, right. I think that Mary was her last name, Virgin was her first name, I think. No, no. Very good, yeah. Anything else that sticks out to people that you're like, hmm, there's gotta be a backstory to this. Yeah. Man, you know, I could just go on about this. But like if Christians were paying attention to everything that they believed, it would actually serve so many of us really well as correctives to things that we're leaving off the plate, right? We get on our, like our hobby horse, especially when you think about churches. Now let's not pick on anybody, but I'm just saying like, um, go ahead and pick on. No, we all, we all have a tendency to go, we are way into this. And so we like dive way into this and we inadvertently leave other aspects of the wholeness of the faith behind. And the Apostles' Creed acts as this anchor for us to go, oh, that's good. Hold on a second. You still have to deal with the resurrection of the body. Talk to me about that, you know? It's good. Anything else? Cool. Help me to understand why if there's seven councils, we are only affirming Well, because the, ca- well, that's a great question. The councils were all dealing with totally different things too. Um, but, and a creed wasn't necessarily, so there isn't like a one-to-one council to creed kind of ratio because that's not the, that wasn't the point of those councils. And they're all dealing with really important issues, 
But um, in terms of like Christology and who God is, Christology is um, who Jesus is, who is Christ, the study of who is Christ. All of those major things that were being challenged at the time were being settled in the creed. So even in later councils, you'll see, well, we've said this in the creed, that kind of reference. It becomes kind of like precedent in some ways. Um, but we can get into more of the, what those councils are and like what they were after. And I think when we understand who, what they were after, we see like, oh, we don't need a creed for each one of these meetings. Yeah, Pam. It's a wonderful little mess. It's beautiful how God works with us. It's amazing that we even have a church, people. Um, okay, well, that, that our time is up. Um, if you all would help me by taking food home, that would be a, a big help. And if you're able to stick around and throw a chair away and a table, that would be super helpful as well. But if you've got to run, that's fine. Um, let me close this in a word of prayer and thank God for our time of learning this morning. God, thank you that you deal with people like us and that you have entrusted even broken people like us with the news of your son. What a precious, precious story this is. What precious news. And God, to think that you have put it in our hands, we ask that you would help us to be faithful and attentive to it, that we would learn it, we would inwardly digest it, that it would become our story, and that we would pass it along faithfully to our friends, to our family, to our children, to all those who come behind us, Lord. God, we pray as we kick off this new catechism uh, trimester, would you deepen our love of you? Would you open our eyes? And God, I pray, would you reveal more of who you are to us? Show us your great love, oh God, the great love that you have for us, that you've demonstrated in Jesus. All this we pray in his name, amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.